0: Okay, great. I think we're all set with that. Okay. Um, I guess we can talk about uh, important things now. So um, it's not, DC doesn't feel that different. I have noticed, I guess I can say this publicly. Well, maybe I shouldn't. I have still been at a couple indoor restaurants as of late, um, including, I guess, um, on Tuesday. Mm hmm. So um, Tuesday inside, it felt kind of eerie at this particular restaurant. Um, I think they lowered capacity. So the tables are even more spaced out than they used to be. Yeah. And there was barely anyone. Um, There were maybe just two or three tables of people inside. And then there were some wacky people who were sitting outside in like 39 degree weather with the heat lamps or whatever. And I guess that's what some people are fine doing now, even though it's gotten really cold. Um, And I think, I think there is a divide in, in this, uh, in this city, at least among people. I know some who are, there's three categories, people who are willing to still eat indoors, people who are willing to go to restaurants, but sitting only outdoors. And then people who aren't willing to go to restaurants of any sort, indoor or outdoor, and apparently, um, I don't know, meet up in parks or some shit. Who knows? And so um, you, yeah.
1: you, you didn't want to say that you were in a restaurant for fear of that third group that will shame you for going to a restaurant. Yeah.
0: But hold on.
1: It's legal. It's still legal to go to restaurants. I mean, they exactly, have
0: The thing about the moral police is they don't actually care what's legal or not. Yeah. They care about what's virtuous. And that's their standard. And anyone who doesn't meet their um, conception of virtue – is beyond the pale.
1: Is that, is that um, true I mean, order. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Uh, I'm just friends with you guys. I don't, I don't know any of these people, but like, and none of us are, I guess <laughs> virtuous in that way, but, but, but uh, uh, isn't it, don't they, don't they, I mean, they do the, do the, the, the virtue police think that, that, that um, uh, uh, restaurants should be closed right now. Is that the idea? Like that, that, that it's immoral that restaurants are open.
0: No, I haven't heard that. I think it's more that they don't want you to go to the restaurant. So the restaurants are open and they're like, okay, fine. Hmm. But you should be better than that. That's for people who are like Trump supporters, fascists, um, people who don't believe in science.
1: But they love um, – but but Mario, uh, Mayor Bowser has done a fine job in D.C. and has been very responsible about, like, maintaining. Or, or for these people, everything should be closed. That's not true. That's a caricature. Like – Are these are these virtual people really want everything closed?
0: Honestly, like I have told people like I still go indoors and they're like, oh, wow, like a sense of surprise. Like, wait, should you really be doing that? That sort of thing. That is definitely real. Hmm. Some people are against that. They don't want their friends. They're like, if you're my friend. How come one of my own friends is still indulging in this kind of risky behavior? Yeah, and there yeah. have also been some articles: don't eat at restaurants, oh, including even outdoors. And I have so there definitely have been those arguments circulating, certainly on Twitter too. Avoid restaurants. Go the extra mile. Don't see your family during um, holidays, even though they're like old, and who knows, you might not see them again. But you know, better, better safe than sorry, or whatever. So, um, so I think that, um, yeah, I mean, it shouldn't be that surprising, Demir. I guess you don't really know these people.
1: No, I don't. I don't. Uh, like, I literally just hang out with you guys, and 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 we hang out, and we're <laughs> we're irresponsible, all of us. No, but I, well, I yeah. Maybe, Go on.
0: Well, maybe there, there is something along these lines that I think is worth bringing up about. Um, but before that, and I have forgotten to do this, maybe in previous episodes. First of all, thanks to all of you for joining us for this impromptu live recording of Wisdom of Crowds. Um, If you like what we do and you want to support us, I would encourage you to consider becoming a member of Wisdom of Crowds, and you do that by subscribing on our uh, site at wisdomofcrowds.live slash subscribe. It's $5 a month and $50 per year. And if, if, um, and we need your help cause we want to, we want to build out what we're doing and we have some exciting plans in store for you guys. Um, I think, or I hope <laughs> that's it. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And, and even if you're not ready to quite subscribe, uh, sign up for free to get our free content mailed to your inbox on a regular basis to see what we're up to.
1: Oh.
0: Right. Demir. I agree. I agree. You should
1: definitely at least give us your email and, uh, we promise not to spam you too much. Um, yeah, I don't know. So, so I, I wish I had more perspective for you here because it's interesting how, uh, you know, like sort of intercultural COVID, uh, stuff happens, but I, I've, um, mainly because I'm, I'm staying with my, uh, elderly parents. I, I've, I've, I've not really wandered out very much at all. I've been, um, uh, you know, I, put a mask on and go to the store and, and, and do some shopping, uh, very fastidious about like washing hands and stuff like that. When I come in it, much more than I ever was living in DC at all, you know, um, you know, I, the, the figures are, are really bad in Croatia. Like I, on rather than make you Google it, like last time I, I, I checked, like, uh, I think Czech Republic is worse and Luxembourg's worse, but every, like Croatia really up there. And there was, um, I mean, it really looks like what happened in Europe is like basically, massive opening in the summer and Croatia is a tourist destination. So we're, we're, we're really bad. Um, that said, I, you know, like things are sort of functioning from what I can tell. Uh, they closed all the cafes and bars and restaurants a week or so ago, I think. And um, uh, so that's not happening anymore, but like, food carryout is happening and and people are out. Like, it's not that, that there aren't any people on the streets. not like an abandoned city in in ways that I feel like DC has been hit in a way that like, it's, it feels like it's taken a gut punch. Zagreb doesn't feel that way right now. It like, it's fine. Um, It's closed, but it's, you know, you can see that at the drop of a hat, like it'll, it'll, it'll snap back. Partly that has to do probably with a lot of the, the financial support that businesses are getting. I think the government went, uh, pretty hardcore on that. And, um, like the EU bailout funds actually turned out to be very useful for that. They, they, um, the EU is actually giving really good money to Croatia, which they've now given to business owners. So I don't think we're going to have like lots of businesses closing, like you saw in DC. And then, yeah, I, I, I haven't really talked to people outside my family. I think people are being careful, but it's not, it's not like a sense of, of um, an apocalyptic sense. I always got like a much more apocalyptic sense at much smaller numbers in, in, in the U.S., I guess. I'd put it that way.
0: And which is odd in a place like D.C. that still has a relatively low case, uh, case count. So the rest of the country, some states are getting really bad. That hasn't been the case in D.C. yet, as we've talked about many times before, because we have the nationalization of media, we're not able to make distinctions based on locality. So even though we're doing better in D.C., we don't necessarily act that way. I think that's number one. And also, I think that there's a certain pleasure in being miserable that Americans, some Americans take pride in. It's, you know, especially if you're... um, you know, on the left side of the spectrum. And I even am sometimes this way. I loved the first two months of lockdown, as you might recall, because it gave me a license to not be social and to sort of like order in Domino's pizza and stuff like that and read novels and not really interact with human beings. And some of us like that. And I think that um there's also maybe – um Yeah. I mean, I think that's actually one of the if if you're an introvert, um, that's something that you can sort of take advantage of. I'm apparently not an introvert based on what my friends tell me. But even I have this side of me that sometimes wants to be alone, which brings me to, I think, a a broader cultural distinction. And I'd love to get your thoughts on this. I've been thinking about this and I'm surprised that there isn't actually much written about it. Um, let's take Egypt, my, um, uh, my country of origin, I suppose it might be described as such. Um, so Egypt has been talked about as one of the success cases. They have, um, not very high case counts. I can't recall exactly what the latest figures are, but Egypt, Egypt is doing better than much of the rest of the world. But what's odd is, um, My family in Egypt is big, but it's not like it's a massive family of like hundreds and hundreds of people. Based Mm -hmm. on the about, I would say, maybe 80 family members who are like in my mind, about eight of them have gotten COVID and maybe more. Those Mm -hmm. are just the ones that my uh, that I've heard about uh, directly or my parents have told me about, Um, which is remarkable because in D.C., I only maybe know three or four people who have gotten COVID. Um, And maybe even in the country, I probably in the U.S. overall, I maybe am aware of, I don't know, like seven or eight Americans um, who I know personally who have gotten COVID, a significant number. But the fact that my limited family, I can point to eight cases. So what's going on here? Number one, I think. And what's really interesting is that none of them have changed their behavior. Even though this didn't all happen at the same time, they found out about other people getting COVID, but none of them have altered their daily behavior. No one wears masks, not even going to the grocery store. It's not required. If you want to wear a mask, you can, but then you're kind of like, weird, wait, what's wrong with this person who doesn't want to show their face? people are still going to massive indoor weddings and the famous footballer Muhammad Salah, I think that's how he got COVID recently. Mm -hmm. But my family members were still going to indoor weddings and kissing on the cheek and hugging people, even though like their brother might've had COVID two weeks prior. Mm -hmm. So this to me, it tells me that there's a cultural distinction here that is worth exploring, but we don't like to talk about how different cultures approach matters of recklessness and death. I don't think you're going to see a lot of big think essays about that because it gets us into controversial territory about how other cultures deal with life differently than we do. Also, let's take Georgia. Our friend Ani, I guess we can talk about maybe not go into too much detail, but she knows a lot of people. I think she said something like she knows she might have been exaggerating slightly, but she knows like 40 people in Georgia – who have gotten COVID and she has to try to convince people she knows back home, even if they've been exposed, they know they've been exposed to COVID just like a couple days ago, but they still want to meet up with their neighbors and give them hugs and still go to Supras, which are large Georgian dinners. And apparently the attitude is we're still going to live our lives. We're not going to let COVID dominate us. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so, I'm curious. Like, what is how does all of this sound to you? This kind of what what we as Americans might call recklessness. What they as um, uh, people of um, of <laughs> people of uh, third world slash disadvantaged slash developing countries, especially countries that are more, um, let's say, family and friends oriented, very social cultures where people are always gathering. I think they're saying, "Listen." You can't ask us to be on lockdown. I mean, imagine – I can't imagine if the Egyptian authorities tried to impose a full-on like Italy-style or like France-style lockdown where there are curfews and stuff. I just don't even know how that would work because people aren't comfortable being alone and just like sitting in their homes. And I remember, you know, whenever I would spend time in Egypt and I was like reading a book on my own or like doing something individual like with earphones on or something – People would think of that as like why is why is Shadi being antisocial why isn't he talking to people? why isn't he part of a gathering? why isn't he talking to his friends? There is this idea of not being comfortable alone by yourself
1: yeah, yeah well, there's an echo there oh, there's an echo there oh man there we oh, go oh no demir okay, it's back <laughs> it's back it, it cut it out, it figured it out I, I think I was quiet for too long and then it 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 forgot the oh, echo okay. cancellation um. I guess, I guess, um, a couple of things, uh, it's worth maybe talking about. Um, I, I, I want to get back to this question about, uh, different approaches to death, because I think that, that you're right. There's something really key there. Um, and I remember we actually got into a debate. You were there. I'm pretty sure you were there, uh, at some point, uh, is the early days of COVID. And I, I'm trying to remember who it was, uh. Well it's not name names, but in any case it was like a bunch of us and we were having a um a, a a debate specifically about the that 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 question of of whether uh different cultures attitudes towards safety and and life actually uh you know are are impacting a lot of these things and i think it's it is a is a difficult question to sort of get at I'll just get one thing about egypt you're saying that like it hasn't had like big numbers and and you know uh shaping attitudes i I'll I'll, just completely anecdotal, but in the first wave in the spring, um, I was, uh, you know, we were, if you remember when COVID first hit in the States, we didn't even have like, people were hoarding toilet paper because like the entire, uh, you know, what's it called? The, 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 uh, distribution chains for goods and and stuff was, was completely screwed up. And, um, you know, like that was wild. That was a wild time. Like, you know, like going and seeing Soviet style shelves, you know, just didn't expect you'd get something like that in America. I was talking to my dad. My dad was like, God, what, what the hell's happening to America? Like, you know, small little, you know, second world country like Croatia and we've got it under control, you know, like our healthcare system, we've got socialized medicine and it works and, you know, like they're doing contact tracing and it's wonderful. And they're on top of everything and competent government and like, gosh, America can't like, you know, has these like fetishes for not like investing in governance and like, look at this is what happens. And I was like, you know, I have no answer to that. I guess Croatia is doing a great job. Turns out I don't think that Croatia did a particularly good job. I think it just didn't get the fucking virus is really what it comes down to. Uh, like most of Eastern Europe, there was like all these articles that were kind of like, oh, could it be that there was like, you know, a hepatitis vaccine that like kids up till like, I, I have it on like that mark on my arm. I, don't, I think like in the 80s, they stopped giving it. But it was like, uh, and it was like, you know, perhaps some sort of Eastern European thing. And maybe that like built up antibodies or some sort of resistance and like people weren't getting it. It's all bullshit. And the the thing is, is like all these countries that were examples of something or other just got lucky that it just didn't get it. I think, I think that the, the, the interesting thing about this bug is that like, uh, transmission is, 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 it's odd the way it happens. It like, it, it, it clusters, it, it doesn't, um, it doesn't. It's not as mobile, I think, as people. So I, I, the reason I, I bring that up is because, uh, anecdotally, uh, I wasn't here during the first wave. But I think anecdotally, uh, because my dad was, I think, channeling the the kind of feeling of what he was talking to his friends and. Uh, you know, uh, reading the news and, and watching the news reports and stuff like that, there was a sense of like, we got this, we're good, you know, and a certain kind yeah, of. sort of, Croatia
0: was talked about as one of the the great models. I remember there was a lot of hype about Georgia, Croatia, and the Eastern European countries. Yeah, and, I, and
1: and now we all got we all got our comeuppance, basically, you know. And it's because it's because it's not that policy doesn't work. It's not that policy doesn't matter. It's that it's that, and this is one of my. I'm going to say this as people are, it's going to be a bad thing to say, but my my favorite things about COVID is, is, is the, is the comeuppance that it, it, it gives to sort of like, you know um, uh, yeah, the the whole sort of sense of, of technocracy and, you know, like the vaccine's a big deal. Uh, I'm not, I'm not some sort of like anti-science nut uh, you know, we'll see how, how it works out. And obviously there's many challenges and, scaling it up and making sure people take their second dose and the PR around that's going to be a real challenge. And we're going to have like a whole bunch of interesting, you know, uh, cross-cultural studies about trust and, you know, how this stuff works out and we'll find out how, how good the vaccines are um, in the end game as well. And, you know, how all of that, that ends up playing out, it's going to be interesting. Um, However, I, I, uh, I, I do think it's, it's, um, it's interesting that, that, like, experience ends up shaping a lot of this stuff. Now, again, to your point about, so, you know, that's my sort of maybe uh, half repost about about Egypt, I wonder. I wonder what Egyptian attitudes will be once they get properly hammered, uh, if they properly get hammered before the vaccine gets to them, and you start getting the kind of stuff like, you know, we have a, a stadium that's now has overflow in it. And There's like they're putting beds and like sort of uh, COVID patients into it here. That sort of stuff focuses the mind. That said, Georgia is a, a catastrophe, and, and then anecdotally, Georgia is not having that. So maybe there is something else, uh, you know, okay. at play. Yeah.
0: So a couple, a couple thoughts on that. I mean, number one is that out of the eight or so relatives in Egypt, even though some of them are on the older side, none of them were hospitalized. So in some sense, that can almost encourage more reckless behavior because they look around themselves and they see a pattern where it's like you're you're bedridden for two weeks. It's kind of a bad flu, but it's just two weeks and then you go back living your life and you don't sacrifice a year of your existence on this earth, like trapped in your home basically. Yeah. So I think the fact that the death rate is significantly lower in some of these countries and a couple of reasons. One, there aren't as many people who are 80 years and above in Egypt because the life expectancy isn't as high. Yeah. Um, that's one. And that actually is one of the biggest factors that leads to a higher death rate. So when people say, well, why um why are Europe and the US so much worse than say Mexico? It's because we have more people who are 80, 90, 95, 100 and so on, right? Yeah. The, the second thing is the presence of um nursing homes. So the numbers may have changed, but I recall there was a time where about 40% of COVID deaths were tied um to nursing homes in certain countries um and nursing homes is, has been one of the main vectors of, of spread and of death. There are no nursing homes in Egypt. That concept doesn't exist because the idea of carting off your, your old folks to a home and leaving them is anathema. That's unacceptable from a moral and religious perspective. So you're cutting out maybe 40 percent of deaths right there. You're cutting out um, another, say, 20 percent of deaths because people aren't old enough. And then who knows? I mean, there's some jokes. I mean, there have actually been Egyptian commentators on TV who have said things like Egyptians have a special resistance to the virus. And it's almost like a sort of um, covid nationalism. <laughs> and, and, and I mean, this is, I, I don't want to be mean, but this is Egypt is a bonker society. So people believe in crazy things and rationality is not necessarily privileged as something that people should be. It's, you know, being rational is not, you know, that's not necessarily something you aspire to. Mm. It's, it's maybe like a side benefit. If you really want to be rational, I guess you can be rational. So there's a couple things there. And then religion. Let's, um, and I don't know if it might be similar in Georgia and some of the Orthodox countries, but there's also a sense that um, if someone dies, God forbid, then it was mektub, which is the Arabic word for written. And that the idea that everyone has a kind of um, a book of their life, to use the metaphor. And if God has written it to be that something happens at a certain point in your life, whether it's marriage, birth, whatever, hardship, great things, whatever it might be, that that is not something that you can really fight against. Let me, just, happens-
1: let me just interject here on one thing, because I, I, I really actually was going to introduce this as the routine to open up this thing, but didn't need it. I I literally, before we started recording, I went to the to the kitchen and I have a bottle of beer that I bought. And I was like, I'm going to get this beer. And then I, you know, I don't really, I've only been here in Zagreb for a few days, so I don't know where the bottle opener is. And I looked and I looked and I looked and I couldn't find it. And I said to myself, ah, it wasn't meant to be. And I put the beer in the (laughs) fridge and I said to myself, I'm going to tell Shadi, this is the extent of my religion. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> My religiosity is I, I take a beer out of the fridge. I can't find the the bottle opener. I said, aha. I literally said something along those lines to myself. I said, it is written. I cannot have this beer tonight.
0: And I put it back. That is amazing. No, I mean, that's literally what we're talking about here. Yeah, yeah. Even people who are non-religious. I mean, everyone to some extent subscribes to some notion of fate. Yeah. Right. I mean, some people less than others and so on. But I think it's a very popular idea that there are certain things that are beyond our control. There are sort of um, uh, supernatural powers. You can call it God. You can call it life, fate, you know, whatever it might be. Sometimes things are not meant to be. Even when people are talking about how they meet their spouse and fall in love, they can be atheists, but some they'll use this language a lot of the time. Well, hey, wasn't you know or even like this phrase which I really hate and my brother uses it and sometimes I'm like I'm like really I don't like this phrase and I have some friends who use it too they say it is what it is which is a tautology. yeah it makes no sense what does it mean for something to be what it is What what does it mean for something to be what it already is. It doesn't really make a lot of sense, does it? I mean, I don't know. I I, I remember something about like
1: Heidegger, right? Like in Dasein and being, I don't know. Isn't 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 that like one of those key things that like very, (laughs) very, very important Germans who became Nazis spent a lot of time thinking about?
0: Good point. But do you think the people, (laughs) the Americans we know who are saying it is what it is are referencing Heidegger? No, no, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, but I think it's also like a stopgap measure when you don't know what to say in a conversation. You're like, it is what it is.
1: Yeah. And yeah. you
0: move on to the next topic. But anyway, um, no, but it's, it's a, interesting. It,
1: it's that fatalism you're talking about. I mean, I, it's fine though. I, it's like some, are, some of some the, some of our interlocutors in the, in the chat are saying that that's their concept of religion as well. A certain kind of <laughs> resignation to it. I feel like, I feel like we've hit on, we hit a nerve here. Um anyway I
0: also love it. I also love that there's someone on um live joining us his hand, his or her handle is brookings fan. Yeah.
1: I wonder if that's one of your that's colleagues. That's
0: interesting. One of your colleagues. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Okay, well, um so I think that um also you know when someone passes, you know how in, in the US we sometimes say things like they were taken before their time. Um this was um there's i i Demir I mean, you're smiling, I guess you're seeing some more of these comments, but um what, what what do Americans say when someone like dies suddenly and it doesn't feel right, and there's almost a sense of resistance against against fate that they were yeah taken before their time, yeah, sure, but I mean that's look i
1: don't know uh i this 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 like gets us into dangerous territory of, I think, like breaking down the sort of, you know, the, the, the human needs that, that religion is supposed to be filling and stuff like that. And I don't really necessarily even want to go there, but right. Isn't that, isn't that part of it is it just like when a, when a, uh, a loved one dies and, and you're, you're faced with it. And so what are you going to say? You're going to, you're going to raise your fist and say, no, or, you know, you say, well, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> I mean, It's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's sort of that. Now, like, um, I guess it's sort of like a, a a weirdly secularized way to go about it is to, to just sort of, you know, uh, talk about it in terms of fate, um, as opposed to, you know, a more organized sort of form of, of, uh, of faith where, I don't know, it, it imparts more meaning than, than this kind of resignation before, uh, before facts, but I don't know. Um, but what, what annoys you about your brother saying it is what it is apart from the grammar?
0: No, no. I mean, um putting putting that aside, because um, yeah. I yeah, it's a fine, it's a fine thing to say, I guess. I just I think it's a little bit circular. I do think I remember early on when COVID started, there was a big divide between um a certain group of Christians mm. and and um less religious liberals, where many Christians were saying, um life life isn't just about good health and minimizing risk, um, that there's a certain trade-off. And I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly how this was articulated. I remember that I did a debate with R.R. Reno from First Things, and he was one of the biggest opponents of lockdowns. And he was talking that day about an underground church in New York that he was frequenting. And there was almost a pride in this idea that Christians would not be bowed by the virus. Yeah. That they would not let the virus lessen their lessen the things that they consider to be quite important on a daily basis. Going to church, spending time with their loved ones, celebrating the kind of daily rhythms uh, of, of life and love. And they felt that people who were who were emphasizing science as its own kind of God had lost sight of what of what life was actually about. Does that does that sound about right to you? Yeah, that I'm sounds- not saying that I I'm just trying to uh, communicate you yeah. as I re- as I remember. Yeah,
1: that's that's that sounds right. Yeah, I remember that. And like, I mean, and you were you? Where were you on that? Basically, uh, with your 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 sort of faith position on that? I mean, I know I know you you also were, uh, you know, uh, annoyed at a lot of the sort of uh, the the COVID uh, restrictions and the rest of this. I mean, you know, uh, very much obeying to the letter of the law, but but annoyed in the spirit of it, I guess. Or um, I don't know how. What that debate with Reno, I didn't watch it. Like what, what, where, where, where was it? Sure. Or that was just an aside of something.
0: No, no, I think that um, I think it's an important perspective for us to, to, to listen to. I mean, I think that sometimes it goes too far where you're actually putting lives at risk. And there's also a pro, you know, there's also re, re, religious concepts that are very important about the preservation of life. So this is where I think Christ, um Muslim and Christian progressives, have used scripture and used faith to argue almost the opposite, that preservation of life takes precedence over going to the mosque on a weekly basis. Um, so I think there's a tension there, and I think it, it actually um, it overlays with partisan affiliation. So if you're a Christian who's a Republican, you'll probably take a certain perspective. If you're a Christian who's a Democrat, you'll use your, your faith to make almost the opposite argument,
1: yeah. So yeah. that's
0: where it gets a little bit complicated. I think right. is what's it. really driving this partisan affiliation or religious conviction.
1: You know, here's the here's the here's the weird thing for me on this. Um, it's not really changing gears, but a little bit. Because it, it, you're right. I mean, it's just like people use arguments to get at whatever like itch is scratching them. I I don't I don't find the um, the state that much of a problem. I mean, last time we did the episode, you know, I told the anecdote of the Croatian government finding me <laughs> and sending cops to to check up on me, and you know, like found me out in the street as I was like hopping over the fence of my parents in my parents' yard uh, to catch a photo outside of you know quarantine. Um, and uh, it, that 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 funny little anecdote. I mean, I feel like a lot of sort of Americans would be like, "Oh God," you know, like that's really scary that the state's that good and our state's not that good here in Croatia. So it's like, you know, even, even, even still they managed to like send cops to check up on me. Um, there was, there was a, a, a fight that, that blossomed on Twitter soon. And I think we're going to see a lot more of it coming up. Um, it was, uh, mostly like Michael Brendan Doherty and Megan McArdle going back and forth, uh, on, uh, the question and I think Noah Rothman started the whole thing but it was a, it was on the question of um, basically uh, private uh, you know businesses requiring in the future potentially requiring people to show that they've been vaccinated in order to have access to uh, to stuff um, and this is private this is not even the state mandatory I mean I think it was triggered by the fact that like I think uh, Rothman posted a photo of what is going to be an official, u uh, s government like piece of paper that has your like vaccination record, and I guess that like scratched some conservatives like particularly the wrong way i guess for me i don't i don't find it that like weird or objectionable or really anything um to uh have the government take all sorts of measures that are extraordinary in times of crisis. If they, if it's judged to be in the greater good, now obviously, I mean, the devil's in the details of these sorts of things, and I, I'm not categorical on it, but I am kind of overall, overall, I I, I give pretty wide leeway, even even when we have uh, a Trump presidency, and 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 I worry about the capacity. I I think it's it's, I'm not troubled by this idea of delegating uh, plenty of authority to the government in emergency situations. There's your Carl Schmidt right there. Right. But it's like ultimately the exception, the exception. Right. And, and that's for me, therefore, you know, I, 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 I know where Rothman is coming from. I, 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 I know where Michael's coming from as well, but I was squarely on Megan McArdle's side in that, in that little back and forth. And she was saying like, guys, look, you know, there is a societal good and it is, um, it is, uh, 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 Something that that like you have to be taking into account and and i don 't think Megan said this exactly because she 's a libertarian, but it's like and part of that the state is going to decide that, you know, suck it up, guys, like we live in states now I know this is this is deeply un american is what i 'm saying right now, but no, it, no, yeah. I,
0: really, I mean i don 't have a problem with vaccine cards and carrying that around in my wallet, but that 's because I consider America to be legitimate and we 're a democracy, so I'm willing to entrust the government. With certain obligations in the name of the quote unquote greater good, in a way that I wouldn't be comfortable if we were living under an authoritarian regime. So let's say I was living in Egypt or under or Trump. China or Trump. Wait. Or, or yes, <laughs> under, yeah, under the fascist regime of, um, yeah. of Trump, that I wouldn't be comfortable with the government saying, here's a card because. Um, I have a pretty extreme view on legitimacy. I consider all authoritarian regimes to be inherently illegitimate mm. by definition. Yeah. So in some sense, nothing they do is really entirely legitimate. And you have to decide, you know, how comfortably, I mean, you don't really have a choice because the alternative is repression. If they tell you, you got to carry the vaccine card, I guess you kind of got to go along and do that. It does, yeah. but it, I think it sets a dangerous precedent of the government being more intrusive in the daily lives of individuals, and they can then instrumentalize that against their political opponents. God knows what they can do with that information, so on and so forth. Of course. Obviously, there are some concerns around um, the use of that kind of information in in the U.S., but again, we have transparency in that, um, transparency in that we can oppose things and the media can uncover certain things that go go too far and we can have a public conversation about what the limits of government power are. So there's a way to self-correct if the government goes too far in a way that you don't have that in say China or Egypt or other neo-totalitarian states. So I, for me, that's the key distinction. So we're in a democracy, democracies, democracies delegate responsibility. Democracies have strong States, especially in Western Europe where Macron can come tomorrow and say, Hey, there's a lock, a full on lockdown or a curfew after 10 PM for every single French citizen by decree, basically, right? Yeah. Well, again, but that's,
1: that's, that's the, that's the, um, The funny thing about, about, uh, about Carl Schmidt though, right. Is that, is that he talks about the, the emergence of, of complete dictatorial power, even in, in, in liberal parliamentary democracies. And that's what fascinates him more than anything else, right. Is this, is that, uh, in order, and that's, that is the sort of fascinating thing about, about COVID and about a lot of these emergency measures, basically it's that, uh, you know, again, Every state needs to do this in the breach at some point is to allow you know quasi dictatorial sweeping powers uh, that are supposedly delimited but it's never it's never actually specified how what the delimit, uh the, the delimiting factor is you know in in these sorts of things one just assumes that you're going to have some sort of popular uprising to keep it in check but it's not it's not um, uh, necessarily uh, the case that that like there's any mechanism for it and so i it's it's i don't know how to put it like i guess i'm also on the margins discomforted by it but i guess my my tolerance for for state capacity to to uh basically do pretty strong things in 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 extreme situations is actually pretty capacious and and so I just to get back to that, like the question whether it's it's you know, religion uh and conservatives or whatever it is. I, I even wonder whether, you know, this debate on 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 you know uh like and maybe we will have it about like carrying vaccine cards, whether it does map onto anything or it'll just sort of randomly map onto some sort of partisan mood affiliation and then like all conservatives will go one way and then like all liberals will go the other way and then some of us will just sort of again be trapped in the middle. I don't know, you know, like it, it just seemed like all I'm getting at is that that debate on Twitter I found kind of bewildering because, like, I I, I know Michael a little bit from Twitter, I've never met him in person. Like, I, I know Megan a little bit, and I, I don't know, it just seemed to me like a pretty clear cut case. But I, I was surprised to see some of my friends just, uh, you know, go in this other direction that I just, in a way, I don't, I didn't fully,
0: I don't know. So, I would take exception to part of what you said about the state of exception. Go on. That for the state, the idea of a state of exception is maybe somewhat tolerable if it's very exceptional in the sense of a very um, contracted time period, because if you extend it for like a year or two, then it's no longer exceptional. It's the new normal. Right. And this is where I think there is a danger of, Uh, So when we talk about extreme situations, if it lasts for two years, it's no longer an extreme situation, because by definition, anything that lasts that long is not you can't be in a state of extremity for a continuous period of two years. That would just be the, the state of normalcy. And then you would have to kind of determine additional states of further exception because your standard is shifting as time passes. But putting that's a little bit putting maybe it's a little bit convoluted. No, but no I get I it. I get
1: it. I get it. Go
0: on. But I think that this is why I think vaccine cards are important if they shorten the state of exception and they shorten the period of extreme political behavior or whatever, because we wanna. We don't want the COVID situation – I mean, the shorter it lasts, the better, because the longer it lasts, the more tempted governments will be to um, abuse their powers and to intrude in the lives of citizens more and more. So in some ways, the intrusion of a vaccine card is a way to address the fear that governments will go too far in the future, because the sooner we get – to normal everyday life, the sooner governments can stop intruding and imposing curfews whenever they feel like it, so on and so forth. So I see a real compelling interest in destroying this virus as soon as possible because it does sometimes bring out the best in, in the human spirit when we look at our frontline healthcare workers, but I think it also brings out the worst. I mean, it has aggravated mental illness Um, We know the numbers on this are actually quite frightening. And if you're someone who already suffers from from anxiety or OCD or depression, COVID is going to actually, um, you know, make that worse. Um, So do we really want that? But also for people, and this goes back to, I think, the RR Reno argument about what do we value in life? if you are spending a year of your life and let's say you're in college or you're living the so-called best years of your life and you can't travel, you can't spend time with your closest friends, you're locking yourself up for, you know, half the year or whatever that can have really detrimental effects for someone um, going forward in ways that we can't necessarily anticipate in terms of blocking the beauty of life. If we're only on this earth for, you know, 70 years, 80 years, 50 years, people who die earlier and one out of those 50 years is spent not enjoying your friends and your family and not living your life to the fullest extent is, I mean, there there has to be some kind of, there has to be a balance. We want to preserve life. We want to protect life. We want to keep the death counts down as much as we possibly can, but we can't, but we can't tell people to not live for a year. So what, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. What here. you're
1: saying is we need, we need a religious authority in the state to actually be able to balance the, the economic and other things with these sort of more intangible spiritual things. And, uh, you know, because no, I mean, I, I, I just there, but the, the, the thing is, again, it's, it's, what strikes me about that vaccine card and that argument is that, um, is that in fact that, that, uh, uh, it, it's the argument for it is one of just kicking this thing and it's a purely technocratic one. And like the state I think is, is, is entitled to, to make it basically. Um, these, you know, I, these other arguments about sort of like quality of life are, seems sort of, I don't know, like wishy-washy and esoteric. That's why I'm sort of saying you need like a religious authority to, to, uh, to kind of litigate that somehow. Um,
0: Well, But Damir, what's esoteric about the very tangible idea of you're spending one out of your four years in college and you can't get the same educational experience? Or let's say kids who are in um, elementary school, a very crucial time for developing educational skills that are helped by being in person with your teachers and your fellow students, if that is taken away from you, that can actually... Affect how you develop as a child. Yeah, I mean, I mean guess, these are not
1: sure wars are evil too, and they happen to countries, and you, we take all sorts of crazy decisions to you know end them as quickly as possible, hopefully on our terms and victory, not in 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 in. And that's what I mean. It's like you have to sort of pick a certain kind of measure of it, and I, I do think there's like a, a, a proper justification to be made that the the measure is best judged by sort of state authority. I guess. I mean, this is making me sound like like much more of a fascist than I really am. But like, I don't know. And I, I don't think we ultimately disagree too much on this. So I don't really want to belabor it. But it it's to me it's it's it is interesting about like, I don't know, I that I'm more comfortable with this kind of sort of statism and these sorts of decisions that I I think that than a lot of people. Are you are you ready for for the debates about the different kinds of vaccines and, and you know like uh how poor people are going to get crappier vaccines and how about the fact that like the shoddy not shoddy that S H O D D Y shoddy Chinese vaccine uh that hasn't even had its testing, you know, opened and that the company that that is uh is, like, has like a whole record of bribing people and whatever, uh that uh that one is going to like Brazil and Turkey and is definitely going to be used to treat uh the developing world, whereas we're gonna be luxuriating in mRNA. Uh, vaccines. And I wonder, I wonder even, you know, with America's sort of healthcare system, are we, has that been decided? I didn't see an article. Are we all getting the MRNA vaccine? Are we, are we going to give poor people a shittier vaccine?
0: But you mean, yeah, you just mean poor people in other countries. You don't mean poor people in the U S do you? I
1: I don't know. Have they, have they, have they committed? Are we getting enough vaccines of the good kind for,
0: uh. Yeah. I mean, my understanding is that the U S government has ordered like literally billions of doses of several different vaccines. So it'll be well above the number to cover as many Americans, um, as possible, all Americans who want it, basically. Mm. Um, I don't, um, and I think we're actually overshooting in terms. Cause I mean, um, there's maybe two or three different vaccines that are very advanced in terms of development, the Pfizer one, the Moderna one, and the AstraZeneca one, yep. I think. Yeah. So, um, and there'll probably be some mixing and matching, but I think all three of those seem to be of very high quality. I would say if you're a developing country, don't depend on China. Don't take the shitty Chinese vaccine. I mean, China is really a joke. I mean, it's one of these very, supposedly very successful countries that's still kind of, um, I mean, it's not, it's not a developed country. It's not an advanced nation state um, in many ways. And I think that, um, countries like Turkey or Brazil should be very uh, wary of being particularly dependent on these untested vaccines that don 't actually go through any regulatory checks, so on and so forth I mean you know how I feel about china
1: no i'm just i'm just'm I'm just <laughs> i 'm just, I'm just, I'm just sort of trolling a little bit i i'm i 'm I'm, I'm looking forward to to having some sort of like you know uh racist classist overlay put onto the story of vaccines you know i just i feel like that's coming too because we're talking I mean, about what, how all what's these the racist...
0: okay well what's the racist angle because i mean i i'm sure that there'll be some you know maybe uh republicans who engage in this anti-chinese rhetoric for me it's more i mean you know me my issue with china is about the nature of the regime yeah, um, yeah. more than anything else well, it's, I... and also the fact that they kill muslims but putting that aside for a moment right um yeah. So um, no, no, no. all
1: I'm getting at is like, I, I just, you know, it, to me, all of this, all, I, I'm just wondering again, to the extent to which all politics is effective and everything we've been talking about here, these specifics, it's just like it ends up being an affectation of
0: some sort of like of, of some sort of set of political priors. Um, well, then not you say, you, you had this tweet where you said, basically America, the UK, and I guess maybe other Western democracies will save the world from COVID. And That reminds us of something that um, when push comes to shove, you know, our performance, especially if the vaccine is successful and things like Operation Warp Speed were as effective as they as they seem they might be. I mean, it's really remarkable when you think about the shortened time period for developing a vaccine that tells us something about what Western democracies are capable of, which authoritarian regimes like Russia and China are not capable of. And I hope people don't forget that when five or 10 years down the road, we're looking back at this moment and Americans are going to be all this self-flagellation about how bad America is on COVID. And we were uniquely um, horrendous in how we dealt with the virus. I mean, those people are absurd, first of all. Yeah, um, but but
1: watch what will happen. I mean, China is just going to push their vaccine into into africa and perhaps the middle east while we're taking care of ourselves and that maybe that's one racist angle we'll have it's like the the selfish imperialist west cured itself while china came in and gave this probably you know toxic shit that'll make people grow three-headed <laughs> babies or whatever the hell, but like, but, but like, I, like
0: microchips <laughs> in their blood or something, yeah, yeah, yeah knows like yeah. what they're doing with these vaccines,
1: there we go, let's slur the Chinese vaccine, now this will come back to haunt us, <laughs> when in fact it is saving lives in the third world, I don't know, I don't know, I'm just, I guess the point is, my, my only point in all of this is just like how, how affective a lot of this stuff is, and how, you know, I don't know, um, I'm still, I'm still enthusiastic to, uh, you know, not be doing, uh, the kind of, 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 you know, affective politics now that Trump is gone. Um, but I, I'm, I'm starting to wonder whether we'll ever be, it will ever be rid of it. It's just that it's, it's with us forever and it's just going to be, everything will map onto, onto some of these, I guess it's always been like that. It's just Trump has made it so much more, I don't know, potent and, and toxic and exhausting, um, that it's, it's a little, I'm I'm growing already disheartened at the sort of partisan fights we're going to have over the vaccine and the kind of like colonialist, racist, anti-racist, equalist, you know, one-world fights over vaccine distribution and how everything's just going to like map onto these things. I, I uh well, yeah.
0: Well, a fun fact uh, on the well, number one, you mentioned Trump here, and it just occurs to me that Trump is coming up so much less in our conversation since the election, and there's something wonderful about that that already a lot of us are moving on in terms of how our mind processes information, where we don't automatically go to Donald Trump as our explanatory variable for everything. That's a really good thing for the American people that we're no longer going to be obsessed, or at least most Americans won't be obsessed with Donald Trump. Another little fun fact is that the chief medical, the chief scientific advisor for Donald, for the Trump administration's Operation Warp Speed. And he was just on the White House lectern the other day, uh, Munsef something, I forget his last name. But it's interesting that the person who is orchestrating Operation Warp Speed is a Muslim. He's of Moroccan origin. Hmm. He has an obvious um, Arabic accent. And he's one of the people who who's saving us. And also... With the um, I think it's the AstraZeneca um vaccine, or no, maybe it's the Moderna one. I, I get them mixed up. But that there was um a Turkish um it's a Turkish scientist who helped develop that in Germany, a German a Turkish Muslim scientist. So Muslims are playing a very instrumental role in saving the world, even though you need the US and the UK to really kind of make sure all this stuff gets through. But you got to have Muslims involved, yeah. so I think there's yeah. an important lesson here.
1: Definitely, definitely. Uh, we, need to, <laughs> we need to We need <laughs> to we need to invade their way? countries and take their scientists instead of their oil. Maybe <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> but
0: it, there's something really encouraging that, as anti-Muslim as Trump has been, I mean, one of the more anti-Muslim, Islamophobic um, Western politicians, or at least American politicians. Actually, you know what? No one can really compete with western with Western and Eastern Europe when it comes to anti Muslim sentiment, mm-hmm. but for America, Trump has been pretty bad on this stuff, but it really says something about our country that our chief scientific um advisor for one of trump's major initiatives can be um you know an open and and an open and visible muslim There's uh, something beautiful about that a
1: Muslim enabler of the trump regime that's the problem right yes.
0: Yeah, And actually, maybe at some point we should talk about how as many as 35 percent of American Muslims voted for Donald Trump in 2020, which seems to be a significant increase from 2016, where it seemed to be around 10 to 15 percent based on various polls. There is this weird sort of Trump-Muslim overlap, which I find fascinating.
1: And you share in it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh man that's good Any kind of um I guess we should try to wrap up any yeah. final thoughts from any kind of things anything you want to bring up with our fans before um we bid farewell
1: um, i don't know um sort of feeling uh pretty disconnected quite frankly being being this far away so it's uh it's nice to sort of i mean twitter's a weird thing it like it it's uh especially d c twitter being the kind of bubble it is it's like you you sort of never leave. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's sort of, it's sort of good to dip into this and actually see faces and, 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 and hear voices like this. Cause it's, uh, it's, it's, it's weird being this far from home, even though I am sort of home, uh, um, in such a crazy, uh, and, and weird time in the world, basically. Uh, so disorienting good, good to, good to see everyone and, uh, good to talk to you Shadi. Okay.
0: And I will also say, I'm looking at some of the comments here. We have some really amusing people who joined us. I I like this vibe that we're developing here. Whoever Brookings fan is, (laughs) I'm actually curious who that is. That person is really funny. Yeah. They're making a lot of cool jokes in the comment section. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. All right. you have to go stalk them and out them. Whoever they are,
0: and we can say hi to our our, one of our good friends, Rachel Rizzo, who joined us and is making snarky comments in this in the comments section as well. We always appreciate that.
1: Always do, always do.
0: Amir, are we gonna record a bonus episode for members only? Should we hype that up now? Yeah,
1: yeah. You guys should all. uh, It's not gonna go live though, so uh, we're gonna record that.
0: It
1: should it should be up tomorrow. So if you uh, if you if you want, head over to wisdomofcrowds.live/slash subscribe. And give us some money, and we will give you a bonus episode.
0: <laughs> Sounds good. Okay, Demir. All well, right, everyone. Thank you guys for joining us. Bye bye. Yeah,
1: thanks, everyone. Bye bye.